This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. In the year 2000, the leaders of 191 countries crafted an ambitious plan to attack global poverty, the Millennium Development Goals. In this talk from Ashoka, Fazal Hassan Abid discusses how the Bangladesh Rural Advancement Committee is helping to achieve these goals. As the leader of the Bangladeshi program, which is one of the largest citizen organizations in the world, Abid emphasizes trade and democracy for bringing about positive social change. From the Conversations Network's Social Innovation Channel. Hi, this is Elena Connor. And I'm Eric Nee. We are your hosts on Social Innovation Conversations. Today we're excited to bring you a presentation from Ashoka's Social Entrepreneurship Series. In this series, you will meet six eminent global social entrepreneurs who are the founding members of Ashoka's Global Academy as they share their insights, strategies, and vision for change. Recognizing the power of individual innovation and social change, Bill Drayton founded Ashoka in 1981. Ashoka identifies and invests in extraordinary individuals with unprecedented ideas for change in their communities, supporting them, their ideas, and institutions through all phases of their careers. For more information or to get involved, visit www.ashoka.org. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And if you'd like us to produce new and even more exciting programs in the future, we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. Thank you, Limelight, for your support of the Conversations Network. And now, here's our presentation from Ashoka's Social Entrepreneurship Series. The Millennium Development Goals are an unprecedented effort to attack worldwide poverty simultaneously on many fronts. Any development organization working for poverty alleviation and empowerment of the poor needs to really work on many different issues. BRAC, formerly the Bangladesh Rural Advancement Committee, founded by Fazal Hassan Abid, has employed a multi-pronged strategy to attack poverty on a national level. BRAC's work has helped Bangladesh make significant strides. In 1974-75, Bangladesh's fertility per woman was 6.5. And now, nationally, it's about three. Life expectancy at birth in 1975 was 49. Now it's 61. Abid shares Brack's experience in tackling such goals as establishing universal primary education, promoting gender equality, reducing child mortality, improving maternal health, and alleviating poverty. He offers a valuable roadmap to all those engaged in the struggle to reach these critically important goals. The Millennium Development Goal is multifaceted in the sense that it looks at poverty, survival of children, maternal mortality, environment, all kinds of issues. And I think there are very important issues, and it requires any development organization working for poverty alleviation and empowerment of the poor or development of their country. 
needs to really work on many different issues. And BRAC has been one of the pioneers of working on many different facets of life because we, we have looked at human beings as an integrated entity. Their needs are multidimensional. You need better environment to survive and flourish. You need education, you need uh, nutrition, you need healthcare. And then when you're looking at a human being with these multifaceted needs, we have tried to provide the basic services so that human beings can uh, operate as a human person, meet all its needs. Poverty is the number one goal, reduction of poverty. Uh, and I think in this respect, BRAC's main objective is poverty alleviation and empowerment of the poor. And our basic thrust of programming has been to reduce poverty in Bangladesh. It's not just poor people, less than one dollar a day, we are trying to help them, but also the poorest 10% of the population who get less than 35 cents a day, these are the people also we are trying to work with microfinance and uh, asset transfer and healthcare and so on, so that they can come out of extreme poverty. So poverty reduction is remains our biggest um, thrust of our programming, and we are hoping that large numbers of our very poor people would come out of extreme poverty by the year 2015. But the problem of nutrition in Bangladesh is great. We have problems of mothers who are malnourished, producing malnourished babies. A lot of children, almost 40% of our children, are born what is called low birth weight. And then, again, if you don't provide the right kind of food, then, of course, uh, the children remain malnourished. When they become adults, if you're sick, then you can't earn enough, and then, therefore, you are poor, and, therefore, the next, next generation of children are also malnourished and poor. And so the cycle goes on and on. So you have, one has to break that cycle of poverty and malnutrition and lack of earning power and poverty and malnutrition again. So we have worked on a number of different areas in tackling malnutrition at the child at the maternal level, tackling at the uh, adult level, particularly with microfinance and income and employment generation program to try and get poor people to earn more so that they can feed their uh, children and their family to try and get Bangladesh out of the cycle of poverty and malnutrition. I think the Millennium Development Goal is a good goal to work for, towards. Uh, most of the goals or targets set uh, is achievable, I think. And in Bangladesh, I think we will try and achieve all of it, all the goals. The first one, of course, is um, education of children. Uh, whether we could we could get all children into school and get them to complete primary education. We felt that, um, you know, if we ultimately had to improve productivity in this country, we needed to get our children educated for the next generation to be able to compete effectively in the globalized market. We have um, one group, which is 8 to 10. We take them into primary schools and provide them four years of education, which covers five years of primary schooling. And then we have got another group, where mostly girls, but some boys, 10 years to 14 years. Those children who, for whatever reasons, have, been, have not had the opportunity to have an education. And since they are older children, 
we provide them three years of education to cover five years of curriculum. And they can do that. Most of them uh, complete five years of primary school schooling in three years. So we have got these two groups of children who come to our schools. The reason for these schools are that there are many children who don't enroll themselves into any primary school. So we wanted to mop up these children who has never had an opportunity to um, go to a primary school. So that was one. And secondly, we also found there's a large number of children who went into a primary school, enrolled themselves, but then dropped out without any meaningful learning. So we felt that we also needed to provide them a second chance so that they have an access to education, at least primary level education. The reason we call our school system non-formal primary schools is because if we said they were primary schools, the government has got a particular rule as to how many classes you must have, how many teachers you must have, you must adopt the government curriculum. So we felt that we would be outside the government system. We wanted to experiment with new ways of teaching learning. Uh, we needed to develop new curriculum, new materials. So we called uh, our schools non-formal. But then, if you look at the structure of, the, of our schools, they are more formal than the formal schools in the sense that the classes start, particular time is finishes, teachers come on time, uh, they, there is a structure of teaching learning, uh, subjects are taught every day. There are 270 days a year that the classes take place. In most government schools, probably less than 200 days classes are held. But we call it non-formal simply because we didn't want to abide by all the rules that is set for a primary school. Our education um, has got another thing which is very attractive in the sense that we involve teachers and parents to come together every month and the parents are given report of how, the, how their children are doing. So they feel happy that uh, the, the teachers are reporting back to them about the progress of their children. And it's part of the system that the parents feel very proud of the achievements of their children. And also they feel that this is um, their school. So if the school needs something, the parents are ready to contribute time and resources for improving this, improving school, uh, whatever resources they need. We set up these schools in each village with 30 children and one teacher. We thought that these children would be quite happy receiving five years of primary education, but we were taken aback, quite surprised, when we found that 90% of our children who completed primary schools actually went on to high school. We expanded to 35,000 schools. And we have uh, 1.2 million children in our schools. We ourselves fund about 350 NGOs to run BRAC-type schools. So I think uh, it has been adopted in Bangladesh quite well. But in Bangladesh, if you look at the statistics, there are 19 million children in the age group of 6 and 10. Approximately 3 million children are out of school right now, still not going to school. So if we had more resources, I think we could have, have had 100,000 schools and mopped up all the children who are out of school presently. So because uh, we don't have the resources we need, we, we can't expand to that level. The basic idea was not that we just take one million children and provide education. 
The idea was that the kind of systems, methods, training of teachers that we developed, if we could transmit part of it to the national system, then we would have been satisfied. But BRAC schools is being looked at by government as a separate entity, and we have nothing to learn from them kind of thing. So I think our real challenge is going to be in the future if you could transmit some of the things that we do in our schools to the national system, building self-confidence in children, teachers training, teachers refresher courses, the materials and curriculum that we have developed. If some of them were transferred to the national system, I think the, the country could benefit dramatically in improving primary education, quality of primary education in our country. That part of it we haven't achieved yet and we are looking for opportunities to do that. One of the problems of the government primary school system is that may, there are many children enrolled, maybe say 80 to 90 children enrolled in one class and then the primary school doesn't have the space, maybe space for 50, but they're enrolling 90. But ultimately, what, what happens is about 50 or 60 children comes into the class, the others remain absent because they can't find space. And we felt that maybe we, if we could provide a preschool class for one year before they come to primary schools, then at least the, the basics of alphabet and um, you know numbers up to 100, they, they could at least learn those and also learn some rhymes and so on, which uh, sort of amuses children. So we, we have now set up about 16,000 preschools so that they are prepared to go to a government primary school. I know that the primary school is a very unattractive, very difficult place to survive, but still hopefully the survival rate will go up. And we are also trying to help primary schools uh, in uh, setting up the class which has got 60 or 70 children, we are trying to build another class by the side of the primary school so that this could be divided into two sections. Uh, so we are now talking with the government and talking with the community. We are also raising money from the community so the primary school could be expanded. Hopefully if it works then we, we can go national again and try and improve primary education in Bangladesh. What we are facing is that our children are coming out of primary schools and going into high schools. The quality of high schools is really bad in Bangladesh. So we have just taken up a program of improving secondary education in Bangladesh. So out of 17,000 secondary schools, we have taken up 1,000 schools to try and improve quality of education. How do you improve quality of education? Basically by training teachers. And we are also training headmasters how to manage a school system how to get community to support them more. And also training the village and the school management committee as to what their responsibilities are, what to look for, how to raise money, things like that. So that the school system works. So hopefully, if we are, if we are successful in doing that, then we can take up a larger program in the next phase take up all the 17,000 schools and try and improve that. We need to not only get children in schools, but also provide a quality education, and which is not happening in Bangladesh yet, whether it is primary or secondary. So I think basically we need to work on that a lot more. The other goals are women's equity, gender equality, particularly women's role in society, 
BRAC has been working specifically on a number of areas uh, vis-a-vis women. Almost all of our microfinance clients are women, so we are trying to develop economically our women in Bangladesh, uh, women's education in Bangladesh. We are attaining almost parity in primary education in enrollment of girls and boys. When we started the, our school system, we decided that since majority of the children in primary schools, in the, the government primary schools, are boys, and at that time the ratio was 65% boys and 35% girls in government schools in, in the late 80s. And we decided that we will reverse that ratio. We'll get 70% girls and 30% boys in our schools. And we found that when we set up a school in a village, it's the boys who would, the parents would bring for education in our schools. But we said, no, in this village, unless we get 70% girls, we won't even start a school here. So parents were forced to bring in their girls who didn't go to school before into our schools. Because that was one way of getting more girls into our schools. And we also felt that girls' education, if it is going to be primary education, girls' education is in fact more important for child survival, for welfare of the family than boys' education. We felt that uh, these 11 to 14-year-old children whom we have in our schools, we felt that if they didn't pursue education further, if they didn't go to secondary schools, we felt that we needed to get them to retain their literacy and interest in education even when they left our non-formal primary schools. So we started to organize clubs for them. Uh, so every, every week they've got a club day in one of the primary schools is designated for, uh, for the, what we call Kishori clubs. So they come in, borrow books, play uh, various kinds of games that we have provided them. And so the clubs uh, ultimately became quite a hub of activities for these young, young girls who graduated from our schools. And later on we decided that these adolescent girls, ultimately they will get married and they will become uh, mothers and so on, so why shouldn't we give them some training as to what they are going for? So training on uh, child health, their own health, then some of them said that we want to do something professionally. So some of them were also became photographers. So all kinds of training started, poultry, livestock, fisheries, uh, all kinds of things. Then later on they said we want to borrow money too, uh, to get into various kinds of enterprises. So we have got a small fund now reserved for young adolescent girls. We are also providing human rights and legal education to women so that they can assert their rights. Uh, in the villages, and we provide also legal aid for any violence against women. When a woman is divorced, the husband doesn't provide anything for the, for the children, and we are taking them to court so that uh, uh, that they get, receive allowances for, for children's education and costs of uh, running families so that they are not totally borne by women. So we are trying to take women's side in almost every activity that we do. Even lately, we have started training women journalists so that we will have in the media a fairly substantial number of women who would represent the causes of women in the countryside. So BRAC has been working fairly largely on women's empowerment and women's economic development. When we started health program in Bangladesh, we started with curative program, basically doctors looking after patients. 
But we realize that just curative service is not going to change the disease pattern in Bangladesh. We need to look at how to control diseases, how to prevent diseases. So basically, the idea of immunization of children so that they get less disease, family planning services so that women don't suffer from other things associated with births, water and sanitation is another area that we worked in. So we we have now provided all kinds of preventive medicine. For most of our health programs now, we need involvement of our group members because if they have to improve the sanitation and water, their participation is essential. Initially, they came as passive recipients of curative services from our doctors. I don't think we now provide many things ourselves. Most of them are embedded in their own communities. So the health worker that we have trained, she's within the community and they pay for the services. Um, and uh, they improve their own condition as they see fit. In our basic health program, what we call essential health care program, our Shaistoshebikas, the um, village health workers, they are providing basic services like antenatal care for every pregnancy is being monitored, postnatal care, some basic nutrition, folic acid and iron for every pregnant woman. So she's a group member. So she will be borrowing money to do whatever activities she has. She may have two cows and uh, five goats, and she has other things that she does. But on top of that, she also serves the community in healthcare. So she probably gives two to three hours a day in the task of village health worker. So various kinds of health commodities we supply to her, and she has a small markup so that she can get some income out of it. For that, I suppose she will be respected in the community as a village doctor, but we don't pay any salary to them. If we pay salary to them, what will happen is that if BRAC were to stop it, they will stop their work. So we felt that we needed to develop somebody in the, within the community so she will go on serving the community as long as she is capable. Community health center, I think we have got about 100 community health centers. Usually we have a doctor and a paramedic and some other assistant staff who man these community health centers. They are basically curative services and also um, delivery. Uh, births take place in these community health centers. Uh, one idea was that we should try and get women to deliver in a hospital kind of setting so that maternal mortality is reduced. In Bangladesh, most births take place in the home. The other idea was that our paraprofessionals, like the village health worker, if she referred somebody, they could see a doctor and then get uh, drugs for, for whatever reasons they, they need to come to a doctor. We do um, allow everybody to come into this health center. For our group members who are poor people, they pay a small fee of 10 taka to see a doctor and get medicine. But then if you are an outsider and can pay more, you are charged 20 taka. We have started a small pilot project on health insurance. Um, we haven't really evaluated that yet. When we started health insurance in the 70s, we were not quite happy with that in the sense that the poorest people didn't come to our insurance program. But now Bangladesh's per capita income is probably twice what it was in the 1970s. So I think it's time now to look at it again and see whether or not poorest people would come to health insurance. 
60 to 80 percent of our costs are recovered from fees. So we are still looking for 100 percent cost recovery in our uh, community health centers. Once we have attained that, then of course we don't need to uh, put in more money or seek more funding from donors and so on. So then we can go on expanding and then provide better service. The other goals, one of them is child survival. Can we get child mortality reduced to less than half of what it was in the year 2000? I think we will attain that. I think um, child survival is on track in the sense that we are trying to immunize all children. Oral rehydration is working quite well. We will try and get uh, the mortality from pneumonia uh, controlled. Uh, so I think uh, child survival will probably attain that also. There are many companies now making packets of oral rehydration salts which could be mixed with water and then given to children when they have diarrhea. But um, if we didn't do the teaching to mothers how to make oral rehydration fluid, the packet distribution would not have been uh, very efficacious in the sense that they wouldn't have known how to mix oral dehydration salts with water. What we did was teaching mothers how to measure water and how to mix things. Now that we have taught how to measure water, half a liter of water in every household, they know what to do now that the packets are available. But then our biggest contribution, which probably improved child survival dramatically, was the immunization program. We took up half the country and immunized all children in the late 80s. Since then, we have been asked by government to help improve uh, immunization program in the government setup. And we have helped them in improving immunization coverage. So I think in terms of impact, probably our work on immunization has had greater impact in improving child survival and health for children than anything else that we have done so far. The most difficult one is maternal mortality reduction. In Bangladesh, it is quite high. It's about 300 per 100,000. Every 100,000 births, 300 mothers die. BRAC has worked for the, over the last 10 years trying to get maternal mortality reduction in Bangladesh. Reproductive health is one of our largest programs. We are training doctors in hospitals to take cases, difficult delivery cases. We are also trying to get women to be more aware of when they need to go to hospitals. So we have been working on this, um, but this is the most difficult one in the sense that in the remote villages where you have obstructed deliveries, there's very little chance that the woman can actually go to a hospital on time and get delivered and then she is safe. So it, it is a difficult one, but I think we are all working on this and we could, we'll probably attain that. I think in 1975, when Bangladesh's contraceptive prevalence rate was 5 to 7%, BRAC attained in one area, inshallah, where we started, some 22% contraceptive prevalence rate. So we attained the highest level of um, contraceptive prevalence rate in Bangladesh in the, in the 70s. But in the 90s and now, Contraceptive prevalence rates in Bangladesh, throughout Bangladesh, is about 50%. And I think in most of our project areas, it's probably 
around 65%. And if you have a 65% prevalence rate, then of course you are only getting women who wish to have a child are having children. So more or less in the BRAC project area, we will be coming to a level where birth rate will go down to two and a half to three per woman. So that is happening already in Bangladesh. The transition from high fertility to low fertility already is taking place. The other thing that I thought in the 80s, that unless we reduce infant and child mortality, we are not going to have a low fertility. So it also helped reducing infant mortality and child mortality. Families are happy that their children are surviving. They don't need to have too many children in order to have at least a few surviving. So that's also helped. Uh, in 1974-75, I think Bangladesh's um, fertility per woman was 6.5. And now, nationally, it's about 3. We need to go to 2.2 in order to have replacement level fertility rate. So we have got a, some way to go. 0.8 per woman we need to reduce. And we are hoping to, that we should be able to do that by the year 2015. If we have that, then Bangladesh's population is still going to rise to about 2060. And then we'll level off. So water, sanitation, reproductive health, basic health care for children. If you can ensure that, then I think our infant mortality rate will go down sufficiently enough and we'll also uh, raise the uh, life expectancy at birth. Uh, life expectancy at birth in 1975 was 49. Now it's 61. So we hope that by the end of this decade, we'll, we'll attain life expectancy of about 70 in Bangladesh. And that will be mainly by cutting down infant mortality and maternal mortality and morbidity. On control of uh, diseases, HIV, AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis, BRAC has, is already involved in eradication, if not eradication control, of tuberculosis in Bangladesh. And we have got a fairly large program covering the entire country. We have just received about $45 million from the Global Fund for Tuberculosis, HIV, AIDS, and Malaria. And we have got a program now going all over the country. So we've got about 50,000 women we call shastoshebikas, which are the rural health workers. And these women also provide services to the community uh, in curative and preventive health care. But also we are using them to identify tuberculosis cases. So we ask them to go to 20 households every day and ask them whether anybody is coughing for three weeks or more. If they're coughing for three weeks or more, we collected their sputum and we take it to a laboratory to find out whether or not they've got tuberculosis. So once we identify tuberculosis, then we provide treatment. We are trying to cover the entire country with this. Malaria is another uh, area that we could work in and we have already submitted a proposal to the Global Fund for malaria control, in particularly in border areas of Bangladesh which has malaria. We don't have a lot of malaria within the country, but in the border areas only. HIV AIDS, we, are, we don't have a big problem yet, but we have now taken up a program of consciousness raising about HIV, how it's transmitted, and how once you've got it, then what happens. 
In fact, HIV AIDS, we are working with both boys and girls uh, in high schools. Uh, we think that these are the younger generation who are likely to ultimately contract. We, we don't have a large number of uh, infections yet in Bangladesh, but we think there is going to come unless we are careful. Uh, India has got very high levels of HIV and AIDS infection. So we are trying to get the young people to understand how to protect themselves. But I think also very vulnerable groups like uh, sex workers, truck drivers, people like that, these are the ones that we are also trying to focus our attention on how to protect themselves. And we are doing rural drama now, where in, particularly in bus stands, where lots of people who travel a lot congregate. So we are trying to do the best we can at this moment. On environment, we are, we are working on safe water, safe drinking water solution for Bangladesh. Of course, Bangladesh was lucky in getting tubewells um, sunk during the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So most people have access to safe drinking water. But then we have a problem of arsenic contamination in our groundwater. We have done a survey of how many tubewells in Bangladesh has arsenic uh, contamination. And we are trying to find alternative source of water. We are planting a millions of trees in Bangladesh every year. We have got about 15,000 women who do nurseries. Each of them do about 10 to 15,000 saplings, which we promote throughout our, our organization, our 4 million borrowers. They all plant trees throughout the year. And apart from that, we also have our own nurseries. Last year, I think BRAC itself produced about 2.5 million uh, saplings, but then our group members do much more. 10,000 women doing 12,000 saplings. It's a large number, huge number of saplings which are distributed to our group members who then plant these trees. Breck has just done a study on uh, medical waste disposal in hospitals in Bangladesh. So we found that a large amount of medical waste are being disposed without any protection. So we are now working with hospitals in Dhaka to try and get all the hospitals to come up together to buy incinerators so that they could dispose the medical waste. So we, so we are working on a number of different issues on uh, protecting our environment and uh, pollution. Dhaka is going to be the fourth or fifth largest city in the world in 2020. Um, it has got uh, 13 million people now, but it's supposed to have about 24 million people by the year 2020. And there are lots of slums, almost uh, half of our people live in slums. But we have got a company, Brack Concord Lands Limited, which is trying to get lands developed so that uh, poor and lower middle class people could find plots of land which they could build on. But it, this is going to be the most difficult one of the Millennium Development Goals, particularly in Dhaka City, to try and uh, meet. The other goal, of course, is, is to mobilize more resources by donors. And I think at this moment we have something like 55 billion uh, development assistances flowing from donor countries to uh, developing countries. And a friend of mine, Jeffrey Sachs, um, the economist, worked out that we need something like $150 billion annually to be transferred so that Millennium Development Goal could be achieved. Um, even if we receive $100 billion annually, I think it will be, uh, be possible to achieve Millennium Development Goal. So I think the donors need to also think of increasing 
their contribution to overseas development. Some countries are already doing that, but uh, many others are staying put at the same level that they committed before. But UN, of course, would like that 0.7% of the GDP of donor countries should be transferred to developing countries, and I hope that in course of time we'll see that this happens. It is a small sum compared to what is spent on defense budgets of, of developed countries. Uh, I, I know my friend um, James P. Grant used to talk about that a lot, uh, as to what it costs to save uh, 1,000 children less than one-tenth uh, of a jet plane and things like that. But I know that this is a microscopic fraction of what developed countries spend on defense budget. The eighth Millennium Development Goal is, is, is the donor countries to reduce subsidies in their own countries so that Africa and developing countries in Asia can, can become viable in agricultural production and can export agricultural produce to developed countries at a much cheaper price than if the developed countries went on supporting their farmers with large amount of subsidy. In the 1980s, we looked at the um, feasibility for a dairy plant in Bangladesh, because at that time also the prices of milk were very depressed, simply because Europe was dumping low-priced milk into Bangladesh because farms were subsidized by European Union. So in the 90s, after Maastricht Treaty, when Europe decided to lift subsidy from milk, then we thought that it will be possible for BRAC to get into dairy production. Now that European Union is lifting subsidies, the price of milk powder has gone up and our farmers are now viable. When it was dumped, we couldn't have done this milk plant because it was cheaper to buy powder milk in tins than it was, pos it was possible to buy uh, you know, pasteurized milk in Bangladesh. So that was one of the problems. And I think it still remains one of the problems that agricultural subsidy in the developed countries is harming production in, developed, in developing countries. Millennium Development Goal doesn't have everything in it. Uh, it has only provided a guideline for achieving certain uh, targets in certain sectors. But then, in order to achieve those, there are many other things that need to be done in a society. Getting better public service, better delivery, eradicate corruption or reduce corruption, uh, better governance. Better governance is very much related to Millennium Development Goal because in order to attain that, you need to have a better governed society, more equitably distributed resources. You're unlikely to achieve Millennium Development Goal with when the country is not well governed. Bangladesh is, is a democratic country in the sense that we have an elected government in power. But most elections in Bangladesh, we have been having elections since the British time, 1940s. But then most of the elections, the voting was done on the basis of the village headmen telling the people to vote for particular individuals, and they voted. So it was not really individuals exercising their rights and judgment as to who should be the best um, candidate to vote for. What is happening in Bangladesh with all the activities with the poor people that we are doing, PRAC, 
Grameen, all kinds of other NGOs who are organizing people for power. For the first time, people at the grassroots are waking up and exercising some amount of judgment as to what kind of people should be elected. So I see in the future, in the 10, 15, 20 year kind of time frame, the kind of people we have leaders now, elected leaders, their character is going to change. There is going to be much more grassroots level people who have served their constituencies well. They are the ones who are going to be elected. Once these people are organized and know how to exercise their rights through the electoral process. This is coming up in Bangladesh. So our democracy will be much more strengthened through the process that we have started with, working in the countryside, organizing people for power. Through this series, Ashoka hopes to inspire and spread awareness about social entrepreneurship and scalable solutions to global problems. The series is being used in the education arena, among businesses interested in corporate responsibility, by international development and civil society organizations, and by individuals seeking new careers and innovative ways to change the world. Ashoka would like to know what you think of this series. Please email your thoughts and ideas to ashokadvd at ashoka.org. Recognizing the power of individual innovation and social change, Bill Drayton founded Ashoka in 1981. Ashoka identifies and invests in extraordinary individuals with unprecedented ideas for change in their communities, supporting them, their ideas, and institutions through all phases of their careers. For more information or to get involved, visit www.ashoka.org. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And if you'd like us to produce new and even more exciting programs in the future, we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. Thank you, Limelight, for your support of the Conversations Network. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Stephen Eng. Our website editor was Sathyesh Chakravarthi. The series producer is Liz Evans. My name is Eric Nee, and I hope you'll join us next time for another program from the Ashoka Social Entrepreneurship Series. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.